You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Today, we're continuing on in this series called Faith Under Fire. And uh, this is based on the Gospel of Mark because I see a lot of similarities for us to learn and grow uh, from what we see happening in our culture today. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word, if you would. And actually, today's sermon is based on Mark chapter 1. But we're just going to be reading two verses, but we'll be addressing the entire chapter. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Everybody read it with me. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to grow and develop in our faith as we study your word. We believe that your Holy Spirit speaks to us as we listen. You know every person's language in this room. You know how to get their attention. You know how to speak to them. And I pray, God, that while we listen with our physical ears, I know that you have a way of speaking to our hearts. And that is what we long for. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're doing the series on the Gospel of Mark, and it's called Faith Under Fire. And I'm going to give some uh, preliminary comments that I did last week because I always want to be mindful. There are people who are joining us for the first time, and I want them to have the ability to, I use the phrase, ramp in with us and understand the momentum of a particular series. So some of these comments you heard last week, and I have some additional things on top of that. So first of all, let me just say this. Over the course of history, Christianity has at times been marginalized and vilified. If you go back in history, you'll see that, yeah, there's times uh, cultures have embraced Christianity and loved the followers of Christ, and then at other times it's find itself marginalized and even vilified. And as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we're finding a, a time where they're being vilified. They are, they are under attack and they're being blamed for things that they're not responsible for. And a little bit of context so that you know the Gospel of Mark, because when you understand the context that helps some of what you read to literally come alive to you. And it's this, the Gospel of Mark was written to the Christians in Rome who were being executed often for sport due to Emperor Nero's accusation that the Christians were the cause of the fire of Rome, which happened July 18th through the 23rd in 64 AD. How many have ever seen, been there or you've seen photos of the Colosseum in Rome? You've seen photos of it. And the re- I think for us, while it's often portrayed as this magnificent architectural wonder uh, to the world to attract tourists, for us followers of Christ, you need to know that that is a very, I call it a sacred site in the sense of this. That's where Christians were put to death because of their faith as a result of Nero's declaration. And so, you know, and if you have the opportunity to go there, you also can explore the catacombs which is where they were burying the followers of Christ, and to walk down those catacombs and see 
three graves carved into the wall, three, three, high, three people high, and just mile after mile after mile of that. It's, it's sobering, and it kind of brings a, a reality to, wow, that was a dark day to be a follower of Christ. Those folks had to make a serious stand. It wasn't just a small killing, it was a massive killing of followers of Christ. You say, well, so what does this have to do with us? Well, let me show you a little bit. First of all, what happened was this. The Christians of Rome found themselves, their, 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 their values and their beliefs were out of sync with what Rome said they needed to be. Rome had whole different, whole different identity, a whole different uh, definitions on literally everything that Christians held dear, from family to marriage, you name it. Rome had a completely different perspective and value system than the Christians. And they just couldn't understand why the Christians couldn't be more palatable in accepting the ways of Rome. They were fine if Christians wanted to worship their God, but they also wanted Christians to accept the other gods. Well, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one goes to the Father but through me. Well, you know, Jesus makes it pretty clear. He didn't say, I am one of the options. He said, I'm it. This is how you get to the Father. It's me. And so when, when you recognize that by, by let me just say, I, I firmly believe that people have a right to choose the God they want to serve. Okay? Even Joshua told the Israelites that. Choose you this day who you will serve, but it's me my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay? I am not about taking people's rights away to worship the God of their choice. But as far as a follower of Christ, let me tell you why I believe in Christ and why I don't believe in the other gods. Because as soon as I say that I worship other gods, I've just called Jesus a liar. Because he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why I just go, listen, that for me it's Christ and it's Christ alone. And I, I acknowledge that other people have the right to choose their God. But for me, this is who I serve. And I'm not, listen, I'm not going to Romanize Christianity. Come on, please tell me you got that. I'm going to incorporate a little bit of Rome's belief into my Christian belief. And I've said this last week, a lot of people are finding themselves, they're more Roman in their theology than they are Christian in their theology. And that's, there's some drifting that is going on. So how does this apply to us today? I want to take a minute just to share a little bit of what I call cultural perspectives today on where we are as a culture. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Because what you find in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun. What we see are these cultural shifts that are going on. A lot of us, this is new to most of us. But I can tell you as far as Christianity and even American history, this is not new. It's, it's the same evil forces, and I say spiritual forces, okay, spiritual. I don't call people evil, I just call the forces that control them evil, okay? Because I know anybody can change, and I never want to make a declaration that says they cannot change. If you're not careful, you'll label somebody in a way that they can't change. You don't want to do that. So today we're entering a phase in culture where people are trying to make the new political and cultural shifts, the new doctrine of the church. Think about it. Where's it coming from? It's not originating in the church. It's originating in culture and it's being pushed into the church. Why are they doing that? Because we're the holdouts, they say. You guys need to come on board. You're causing needless tension in society. No. Not at all. I'm not great. I'm trying to make sure the society doesn't go further off the rails. 
So there's this new cultural shifts and there's this push to make it the new church doctrine. And you'll find even religious leaders who are buying into this. That change didn't originate with them and their church. They read culture and decided to bring it in. That's what happened. And so there's a movement now in culture that does not feel it should share a country with people who disagree with them. You're like, Pastor, you're really sticking your neck out. Nah, it's been out there, you just didn't see it. (laughs) Part of democracy is the ability to disagree civilly. Part of democracy is the ability to disagree with respect with honor, with, without attacking the other person's dignity, okay? So you might be saying, Pastor, I can't believe it. Listen, I love freedom of religion because it gives us the freedom to choose. I'm not about any government deciding what our God should be. I'm for individual choices and making the decision based upon a person's conscience Now, I may not always come to the same conclusion as the other person, but I want to be respectful even of people that I disagree with. But right now, we see this trend going on. If you don't side with me, I don't want to share the country with you. And that's dangerous. I'm saying that as a pastor. That is dangerous. Freedom now is being redefined as the right to do what I want, whether it's right or wrong, without consequence. You see... DAs across our country who have said we will no longer prosecute certain crimes. And it's, I mean, I'm just saying, you you realize they just said it is a crime. (laughs) They just said they weren't going to prosecute it. But they acknowledge it's a crime, but there's no longer. And so freedom now is is getting redefined as I can do whatever I want without any fear of of, of consequence or judgment or anything like that. And if they catch me, all they're going to do is tell me shame on you and let me go. That, listen to me, that's not freedom. Listen to me. I've said this next statement is not new. I've said it over the years. True freedom is not the ability to do what is wrong. It is the freedom to do what is right. That's what our country was based on. They wanted to do what was right, and there was a government that would not let them do what was even right. And, it was t- and they said, we believe, we want to do what is right, but now you won't even let us do that. This country was not based on freedom to go do whatever I want. It was the freedom that you can do what is right, and nobody will interfere with that. But we're watching it be redefined. Now, I've said this because... I said there's a history lesson here with this because you'll find in our history there was another time in our history where some of the same cultural tension that we have today was in existence. It was just a different topic. The topic was slavery. And there was a group of southern states that told the president of the United States this. Stop telling us it is wrong. If you, stop tell, if you don't stop telling us it is wrong, we're going to leave. We will wreck this nation, but you, and, we, and they started dictating even to the presidential candidates. You can't even come to our state and, and campaign if you will not refrain from saying that slavery is wrong. If you don't, if you don't stop saying that, you can't even come here. And here was President Lincoln's response. The Cooper Union Address, I know that is all familiar to you. (laughs) Unfortunately, everybody knows about the Gettysburg Address. This is another segment 
This is what he said to those who were laying that, that it's our way or we'll wreck everything. This is what he said to them. Your purpose then plainly stated is that you will destroy the government unless you be allowed to construe and enforce the Constitution as you please on all points in dispute between you and us. You will rule or ruin in all events. And there's the key phrase, rule or ruin. There is a segment of people that you see that this is where now they're coming from. It is our interpretation or we'll wreck this nation. It is our interpretation. Basically, it's this. If it's not their vision of democracy, it's not democracy and it's not legitimate. And they've openly proclaimed because certain things didn't go their way. That's not legitimate. That's illegal. That's this. That's this. And basically what they're saying, folks, is this. If we can't rule, we will ruin this. Can I tell you, as followers of Christ, those are evil forces manipulating those folks. Notice I didn't say they were evil people. Those are evil forces. Wow. It's your way or you'll wreck everything. We're going we're gonna to tear down the courts. We're going to tear down this. We're gonna, and by the way, I'm speaking to both sides of the aisle, which will make me the most popular individual in Fauquier County, possibly the state of Virginia. In democracy, we disagree civilly, honorably, with dignity, but we don't have it's my way or I'm going to wreck everything. That's, listen, that's not even a Christian perspective. It tells, that's not even a Christian manifestation or perspective. The Bible says, love my enemies. It doesn't say to go out and destroy anything and around them and wreck everything. That's not what we're about. And would I remind you that we're in a text in the Gospel of Mark where the, the followers of Christ have fallen about as out of favor as it is possible to fall out with a government. They are so far out of favor with the government, they are now the weekend entertainment factor in the Colosseum. Their death is now the community sport. It's the weekend activity. And what do you find these Christians responding with? They never vilified or demonized the people They only spoke about the evil forces that were controlling those people. Oh, wait for the amens to die down. You're just really wrecking, you know, the feedback is horrible up here. So we're going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to also give you a little theological lesson. How would you like a theological lesson? More people jumped on that one. I'm going to teach you here in about two, for about two minutes on this concept called narrative. You say, Okay, and what's that got to do with the Bible? Well, the Gospel of Mark is written in narrative form. And most of you just went, and the point of that is what? Well, that's why I want to talk to you about it, because I want you to learn. Narrative form means this. It is a, it, there is a way that you write, a, when you write something, when you write it, you know that it's going to be read privately by people. There's a book, okay? But there's another way that you write when you realize that what you write is going to be read publicly. That's narrative. So you have to, you know, it might make sense if you're just reading it as a book, 
But if you're going to read it aloud, you'll change some adverbs and adjectives and pronouns for the concept that this is going to be read aloud. A narrative. Everybody got that? Now, why is that important? I'm going to shock you with something that you probably didn't know. Did you know they didn't have Amazon back then? I know, stunning, isn't it? When the Gospel of Mark was written, it was the only copy. They didn't take it to the printing shop and everybody in the dungeons got a copy of the Gospel of Mark. There was a copy. That was it. Well, then how did the people know what Mark wrote? Somebody went around and they read it to them. But nobody got their hands on the copy. Nobody got to see it and touch it because it belonged to the one who was narrating. And so the Gospel of Mark was written in narrative form. It was known that it was going to be read aloud to the people in their context. Could be jail cells or they could be in hiding somewhere else. That it would be read and that they needed to pick up the meaning of the story just by listening. Everybody got that? So consequently, when you look, so, so I'm actually preaching Mark chapter one today. And I know some of you go, that's impossible. My pastor cannot preach a whole chapter in 30 minutes. <laughs> well, I'll show you. <laughs> okay. So what you have is, is these small stories in, the, in Mark chapter one. There are only like three or four verses. And then he moves on to another one and another one. Why? Because each grouping of three to four verses as it was read, it, they needed to be able to go, oh, that's what it means. And then on to the next story. Oh, and that story means this. Now you go, well, I didn't know that. I know because we, we all have our own copy. Okay. But when you were confined to the fact that I need to listen to somebody read this and connect what the point is, that, that like I said, you'll see that each one of these really has a main point. What's the point that it's telling somebody in that context? They are either on death row, so to speak, in Rome's day, or they're being pursued for the purposes of capture and then killing them. So we're not going to read the entire narrative of every group. We're going to select a verse that shows us what that point is. Everybody ready for that? All right, so let's go to the first one. Everybody read point number one. A new dimension... A new dimension of God's activity on the world. When you're being persecuted and you're on death row and you're going to die and your family's going to die and everybody associated with you is going to die and if they're not captured, they're being pursued. It's easy to think, I think God's activity is shutting down. And what, what Mark is telling them in his gospel is this. It's actually just the opposite. God's activity is ramping up, not ramping down. And so he writes this story, verses 1 through 8, and this is John the Baptist. He says this, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying to these followers, there is a new dimension of God's activity on the way. And Rome is blaming you for a fire. Well, there is another fire coming, and it's going to be the Holy Spirit's fire. It's on the way. I know that when it's, I know it's easy to get caught up in a circumstance on an individual level, and you think your experience defines the entire spectrum of God's kingdom and activity. 
But how many know he is way bigger than our one event? And it's easy to get the mentality, if this is happening to me, then the kingdom of God must be in trouble. I know you're not that narcissistic, right? Nobody is. What? No, we do. We have a tendency to go, if it's this bad for me, then the kingdom's probably in trouble. And God's like, are you kidding me? My activity goes so far and above what's going on. You're a part of it, but my activity is way above and beyond what's happening in your life. What's happening in your life is crucial, it's important, but don't define the entire kingdom by your one experience. And he's telling these followers of Christ, it's a dark day, but can I tell you, there is a wave that is on the way. And everybody said amen. Amen. By the way, I believe that for us too. And I'll get into this a little bit bit later in the message. I think today's the best day to be alive. Okay, I'm the only guy in the room that believes that. (laughs) Jesus helped them. In their unbelief, help them, Lord. Anyway, number two, read it out loud. A new dimension of God requires a new dimension of personal spiritual development. It's easy to fall into the trap that I'm ready for whatever God wants to do. Yeah, sure you are. Did you know that sometimes God gets ready to do something and you know what his solution is for you? He says, you need to go to the spiritual gym and buff up. And we all go, oh no, I'm fine the way I am. And he goes, no, you need need to exercise your faith. You need to get some more muscle. You've gotten a little lazy. So I'm going to, if you're going to get in shape, it requires resistance. And so sometimes God just says, I got to get you ready for what's coming because what's coming, you can't lift it based on the way you are right now. And so you're going to have to hit the spiritual gym. And notice this story. Now, I'm going to show you. Did you know that Mark put in code words? C-O-D, code words for the followers of Christ in Rome going, when they were going through. You say, are you kidding? Trust me. Let's read it. Okay, everybody read with me. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Do you see the last six words? What does it say? When was the last time anybody preached about the temptation of Jesus and he faced wild animals? And you go, I never saw that. That's why you come to church. I slow these things down and I point them out. Who else was facing wild animals? The Christians in Rome. They were being put into the arenas to watch how they could run and fight off these animals. But it was a foregone conclusion what the outcome was going to be. They were never going to let a Christian win against the wild animals. But it sure was great entertainment for Rome to watch them struggle. And Mark layers in a code. Jesus faced the wild animals when he went into the wilderness. And what did Jesus have help him with those wild animals? What does it say? Was he telling the Christians in Rome? When you go into that arena, you're not alone. 
God has angels out in the middle of that Colosseum waiting on you. You will not be at the mercy of those animals. Oh, the world will think you're at the mercy of those animals. But I'm telling you, in the spirit world, there are angels who are waiting to attend you. I had my wife and I, years, a couple decades ago, had the privilege of being in Rome, and we went to the Colosseum. And I was familiar with that passage, and I can remember standing in the middle of the Colosseum on the main floor and rehearsing that in my head. God's angels walked here. Not because the Pope said so. Not because any religious figure said it. There are Christians who stepped across eternity where I stand right now as a tourist. And they were greeted by angels. See, to me, it's a, the Colosseum is a tourist attraction for so many in the world, and they're not totally aware of everything that happened there. But for me, as a follower of Christ, I stood there, I go, oh man, this is sacred ground. And I'm not, I'm not saying that others ought to have the same respect that I do, because I understand freedom of will and choice and all that. But for me, as a follower of Christ, I stood there and I went, wow. So this is where it all happened. I'm a, we're all descendants of those folks. Because they would not bow to Rome's demands. They just wouldn't yield. Their faith was such a bedrock under them, they would say, no, nah, this is, this, yeah. We all talk about, well, that's a hill I'm not willing to die on. For the followers then, they were like, yeah, this is, this is that hill where I, I will. I will not. I will not. Okay. And there's another part here that he has a code word in. When you weren't caught by Rome, you were in hiding. Guess where you had a tendency to try and hide? The wilderness. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And Mark is telling them, I know that you think you are in the wilderness hiding because that's what you do when Rome chases you. But he said, how about this? What if I told you the Holy Spirit has taken you to the wilderness? You're not alone. You're not alone in the wilderness and you're not alone if you're in the Colosseum. Basically, Mark is presenting this picture. Either way you win. If you're in the wilderness, you're being led by the Spirit. If you've been caught, you've got angels who are waiting to take you. Listen, you're in a win. Rome thinks she's won, but Rome is lost because Rome can't take your soul. I don't think I have to draw too many parallels for us today in the fact that our faith is a bedrock of what we are, who we are, what we do, how we do it. I'm not about protest, I'm not about screaming, I'm not about disrespecting people. Hey man, my Bible says love my enemies. So people, sometimes people go, oh, so you're the intolerant guy. Intolerant guy. What have you heard? 
Well, I hear you preach. I said, listen, I, I respect everybody. Now, will I tell you if I disagree? Absolutely. I'll share that with you, but I'll do it respectfully. I will never be demeaning. I will never scream it at you. I will never shout it. And I'll never name call you, and I won't run you down behind your back. But if you ask me my perspective, I'm going to share that with you the best way that I know how. The Bible says speak the truth in love. It doesn't say speak the truth loudly. <laughs> Some Christians get that all messed up. They think loud is more love. No, loud is just irritating. <laughs> I'm just telling you how we make our choices. See, here, I mean, if you don't, you keep giving me all these sidetracks. You've got to keep asking, stop asking so many questions today. So one of, one of the things that I think, especially today, and this is, not a, this is not a trick or a gimmick to get people to come to church, Okay. I think of all the things that I see today is this. We need to come to church to go, wow, so I'm not alone. I'm not weird. I'm not out to lunch on this stuff. There's a, and you know what? I don't belong to a bunch of extremists and wackos. These are good people doing good things in their jobs, good things with their family, do good things in the community. They, these are good people. They're not wackos. They're not extremists. They're not a threat. People I see in this room solve problems. They don't go out and create problems. They solve it. Yeah, we're not afraid to ask questions. We're not afraid to say why. As part of our, as part of our ability of living in this country, we, we, we are given the right to say, can you please explain why? Without fear of reprisal, explain to me why. And that's what I said. I think one of the benefits of coming to church is just to go, the kingdom's doing well. I see good people. Hey, I think today is the best day to be pastoring. That's like where you say amen. I mean, crickets, man. It's like, whoa, okay, maybe today's not the best day to be pastoring. Maybe you know something I don't know. Here we go. Number three, read it out loud. There is good news. It's not by mistake that the verses we read show up so early in the gospel of Mark in chapter one because it's easy to think when you're in such a dark place in Rome at that time, the world is coming to an end. And he says, oh no, let me tell you something. After John was put in prison, does everybody see the similarity? Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He's saying even though there's people being incarcerated for their faith, today is the best day because the good news is still the good news. They put you in jail. They didn't put the gospel in jail. Can I tell you, today is still the best day to be proclaiming. There's hope. You know why I know there's hope? Because he hasn't raptured the church out. Which means we're right where we need to be. Which means I'm not giving up and I'm not quitting. This is really going well today. <laughs> Number four, read it out loud. You are not alone. God is... Again, it comes down to sometimes you get this mentality. Oh man, it's so bad, it's so dark. 
culture's making these huge shifts. I have people, I have, I have teachers, I have this, all telling me I'm the holdout, I'm the problem, my positions are this, and, and they're causing tension, and I'm hateful, and I'm, no, no, listen to me. You're not alone. God is working in others. I want you to look around the room. Can you see? This tell, listen, and this is just the second service. We had a service just before this. Can I tell you, God's working in a lot of people. You're not by yourself. You're not by yourself. They want you to think that, but you are not by yourself. And notice this in verse 19 and 20. This is Jesus. He's walking along the shore of Galilee. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. What I want you to see here is this. Jesus recognized that his father was also working in other people. And he was Jesus. And, he re- and so he... He saw the act, and before this, he called two others. There's verses uh, 18 and 19, even before, or 17 and 18 before this. There's two verses where he called two others prior to this, and now he's calling another. Even Jesus recognized the Father's activity was not just in him alone, it was working in other people. And when he saw it, he said, Come follow me, and they did. But there's a code in this one, too. You see, in Rome, Families were turning on families. Not, some families were betraying other family members to save their own skin. We have historical documents that tell us many of these stories. And it's really been an issue throughout history, the history of Christianity. There's a great book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can, and you read that, you'll read some really heartbreaking stories of husbands who turned in their wives. Wives who turned in their husbands. People who turned in their children. Children who turned in their parents. Why? Because they wanted to save their own skin. And they knew that their family member would never deny Jesus. So they rolled on him so that they could keep everything that they had and keep their status in society. So they rolled on them and gave up relatives. So what does Jesus expect us to do if we ever find ourselves in that position? Notice what he said. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him the two sons said dad we love you we got to follow Jesus Zebedee said I'm I'm staying with the boat that's fine dad but for us we got to follow Jesus he's put that story in there strategically just let People know that sometimes we face tough choice. It's not that we leave our families as sometimes we don't have this much in America, but I can tell you, you go to an Islamic country, you go to some of these other nations around the world, but you convert to Christianity and that whole family will disassociate you and they will kick you out on the street and you won't even know where your next meal is coming from. And they will make sure nobody in the community hires you for a job. They will literally try to starve you to death in the community. There are followers, millions, who have to face that battle. If I accept Jesus, we had a testimony in one of our missions videos about a month ago where a man accepted Christ and the, and the girl's family came and they took his wife. They would not let her remain married to him. He lost everything. 
There are people who face that. And they ask that question, does God expect me to commit my heart to Jesus knowing that I have extended family? They're going to take everything if I accept Christ. Number four, I always know by reading your body language, it's time to move on. You're not, you are not hard to read. Number five, read it out loud. Darkness always counters a new dimension of God's activity with a new dimension of darkness. Anytime God starts a momentum, here comes darkness with another counter-offensive. Just then a man in their synagogue, by the way, synagogue, that ought to be safe, right? Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. A new dimension of evil shows up, and this time it's in the synagogue. It's not on Main Street. It's not with the Romans. It's within the ranks of those who were supposedly in the faith. Obviously, this guy wasn't in the faith. I love what Jesus, if I don't have it up there, I can tell you the next verse says this, and Jesus said, be quiet and come out. See, evil spirits love to have a circus act because they want to distract you from the the, the message. That's why people who are possessed are so demonstrative and they do all this, because they want you to be so focused on their little circus act that you're not hearing what needs to be said. And Jesus said, be quiet and come out. Basically, he said, no circus in my service. And we're going to read later that that was always his thing. He would shut him down. Be quiet. Come out. No circus act. No entertaining. You're not detracting from the message that I'm preaching. Stop it. Knock it off. Darkness always has a way of trying to counter what God is about to do. And I say this. It's pretty, you don't have to be, you don't have to exegete culture uh, real deeply to recognize that Darkness has decided to deploy additional forces against our culture. This is not your standard, hey, let's roll out a new, let's roll out evil in America. No, we're we're witnessing a precedent of evil is reinforcing and deploying more resources into our culture than it has ever seen before. And the question I always go is, why? Because he sees a wave of God's activity on the way and he's hoping to stop it. And that is why I say... I don't preach in desperation. I don't preach in fear. I don't have anxiety. I had somebody say, boy, I bet you have a hard time sleeping sometimes with the thing you say. I said, actually, I feel pretty good because I got it off my chest. (laughs) I don't don't lose any sleep, no anxiety. Now, I'm not going to tell you my wife hasn't said, baby, you're you're, be careful. You know, you're not the only one in the family. (laughs) I'm convinced by the fact that hell is deploying so much resource against us, there is a really good day on the way. There is a really good day. So I'll say it again. I think today is a great day to be pastoring a church. Because see that? See, I'm going to tell you. So that, I get a front row seat. I'm, I mean, I love it. I love the fact that I know that God is on the precipice of doing it. 
I know there's friction. I know there's tension. I know there's people who don't like me. They don't like you. They don't like what we stand for. Well, you know what? I respect them. I honor them. I'm not going to get in a shouting match. I'm not going to get in a threatening match with them. I'm going to figure out how do I love them and get rid of the evil force that's manipulating them. But I won't call that person evil. You say, well, man, that's so... Okay, can I tell you, sometimes my humanity does get the best of me. You say, well, I wish I was as holy as... No, you do not want to... No, I'm not your standard for that. Because I'm here to tell you, sometimes I get in my car and I, I advise God on some good things that he might want to do with his power. Anybody give God advice about some things that he might, you know, I've said, you know, this, there would be a good place to direct your power right now. God, there's a playing field that needs leveled. I'm sorry they're standing on it. They're just going to have to suffer the consequences of standing on it. You know, and then, you know, and then I back it up and you say, what else do you say? I ain't telling you. But you know, it's just one of those, yeah, every once in a while I find myself, you know what, God, no wonder you don't give me the power that you have. Look what I would do with it. Oh, come on, that's you too. So I vent, I repent. God help me to understand. It's evil that's playing that person. That person's not evil. They're being played. Help me to keep that center. I understand that battle. Last one. Number six, read it out loud. God's activity... To everyone. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also, he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. God's activity is for everyone. You're a Roman Christian. God's activity for this Roman soldier guarding me who's unnecessarily rough and unfair in his treatment. He's doing it because he can, not because I deserve it. He's operating outside the boundaries of what he's supposed to do. He's just being mean to me because he can be mean to me. And there's nothing I can do. You mean the gospel's for him? Yeah, the gospel's for him. You mean the gospel's for the people who have falsely accused me? To the point that, that act, their, their false accusations is going to end in my death? And the follow and my family's that yeah the gospel's for them too. You mean the good news is for the corrupt judicial system who convicted me? Kangaroo court would would be a nice way to that, that that's that's using kind words. It's so corrupt. The verdict was in before I even walked in. The good news is for them. Good news is for them. The good news is for the people who betrayed me, ratted me out. So they could save their own skin and take my stuff as a reward. Good news is for everybody. The good news is for the spouse who's been unfaithful and broke your heart. The, the good news is for the parent who made horrible decisions that resulted in some of the heartache that their children now suffer. So, oh, no, 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 that's not right. It's for the victims. Yeah, the, the good news is for the victims, too. The good news is for people who've treated us wrong. 
The good news is for people who still treat us wrong. The good news is for people who hate us and say we're responsible for the social ills that are now out there, that we're the cause of the, the gospel. The good news is for them. Can I tell you, the good news is for the drug addict. The good news is for the drunk. The good news is for the good person who doesn't realize yet they still need Jesus. And they hide behind being good like the drunk hides behind alcohol. Like the drug addict who hides behind the drugs. You hide behind your man-made good and say, I'm good, I don't need God. The gospel, the good news is for you. The good news is for those who realize, I've screwed up and I don't know what to do. The good news is for you. He still changes life. No matter what Rome says or any other government association around the world. Can I tell you this? Nations have come against Christianity and said we're going to stamp, stamp out Christianity. And those governments are long gone. And the church is still marching on. The church may have dark days, but I can tell you this, the church will always end in victory if we stay submitted to Jesus. The good news is still today. Amen? Come on. Let's everybody stand as we wrap up the service this morning. And I want you to lift your hands. Can you praise him for being the God who is greater than any evil force that manipulates people? Any evil, he's greater than any evil force that can manipulate a government or a military or whoever or party or political system. He is still God. Come on, praise him for that right now.